Hey y'all, I'm Mackenzie, a podcaster for the Oregon Wine History Archive. Welcome to our new bonus podcast, Vocal Vines, where I ask wine professionals about anything under the sun. So sit back and get ready to sip on the juice of these vocal vines. August 9th, 2023, I had the opportunity to interview Andrew Rikers and get a closer look into him and Audeant. We last interviewed Andrew pre-shutdown in 2020, when Audeant was still growing. A handful of harvests have happened since we interviewed Andrew, so I was budding with some juicy questions for him. I'm here with Andrew Rikers. It's August 9th, 2023. We're at Archer Vineyard. Um, so kind of to start us off, if you could be any wine, what wine would you be and why? Oh, wow. Um... I would be, like, just physically, I am this wine. Well, like, it can be physically, it can be kind of, like, abstract. You know, I think that I would have to say I would be, um, I think I would be really great champagne. Like, Blanc de Blanc, Long Tourage, you know, I kind of spent some time in a cave just kind of soaking on my leaves a little bit and then i'm out there and then i'm like not just for celebrations but definitely nobody's sad when champagne's around i would when, say when the cork is popped yeah already. yeah yeah i think it'd have to be that yeah it's a good one yeah. we haven't gotten that one <laughs> okay um okay and then when we previously interviewed you you talked about your love for harvest just because of like the hard work being hands-on and stuff you really said it was one of your favorite parts about the winemaking process do you kind of still feel that way oh definitely yeah yeah i think it's um i mean it's the time of year that i feel most useful you know like it's what i'm best at um the rest of the year you know i'm just kind of stumbling through things that aren't my strengths i would say uh, and harvest, it's like every day I get to do the thing that not only do I love, but um, I'm good at, which feels good. That's fair. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's only, you know, three months long. <laughs> Is there so like I've a got... <laughs> specific part, like a harvest that you're like, I love this part. I love this, this part. I, I mean, I love, um, I love the period of time when just after all the fruit is in, and fermentations are really kind of cranking. It feels safe. Like, okay, finally I've got all my, you know, all my ducklings in, in the nest and like have my arms around them. And like, if anything bad's going to happen now, it's for sure my fault. Like they're not out there subject to the, to the world of chaos. Um, and it's, and you can kind of just turn around and look sort of inward in the cellar and, um, just be in touch with the way that these things start to take their own trajectory. Yeah. I think that's my favorite part. Yeah. It's a good part. Thanks. And then <laughs> you've done harvests in California and then New Zealand and Burgundy and abroad. Are there any kind of like just differences really in the harvest that you experienced compared to Oregon? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, quite a few, you know, um, in New Zealand, I would say, well, I think I was fortunate to be there for a pretty extended period of time. So harvest also meant spending time in the vineyard and then once fruit was in fully in the cellar, where I think here when we hire harvest interns, you know, they really are just like show up, train, you know, here's how we like things clean and grapes show up <laughs> and it's like this kind of onslaught. 
Um, France was the same way too, where got there in advance, got to go and be in the vineyards and do some work in the vineyards. And then in both of those places, you know, I think, and this is part of a much larger conversation about labor and the future of how this kind of massive amount of vineyard work gets done. It's just a completely different labor picture in New Zealand and, um, and France, maybe to a lesser degree in France, but, but still, I mean, I, I picked fruit, right? I mean, like here we have just crews that do that and they're way faster than me. Um, I got pretty fast, but I also like cut myself and bled all over the place in Eshersov. So like, um, I wasn't that great. Um, so yeah, the structure of that looks different and I think is, you know, is valuable. Like the greater that you can feel, you know, the more, more intensely connected you can feel to the vineyard, I think the better. Um, and so, you know, we try to, we try to build that in, I would say, but, um, yeah, that would be the starkest contrast. Also in France, it's like, okay, I'm making wine in like a 300 year old building, which is, that feels different, but, um, I guess here I've made wine in, you know, a 120 year old barn. So that wasn't really, that was probably a similar level of difficult. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't know if that answers the question. Totally, it really <clears throat> does. And okay. then, when you got when you went on your harvest abroad, was there like a favorite memory or like harvest story that you have from either of the trips? Mm. I mean, in New Zealand, and I probably talked about this in the last interview, but like, I mean, I don't know if this is favorite, but it's just so absurd, and I'll never forget it. But like, literally sorted, I probably can't sorted cow poop right like by hand right (laughs) and you know I'll never I'll never forget that and and you know not just because you know I was elbow deep in a pile of cow poop but you know it was just this sort of again we're talking about like why are we doing that and it's for microbial health in the vineyard and um getting down into why you know why we pay attention at that minuscule level I think is important and and partly why I'll, I'll always always remember that. Um, in France, I mean, <clears throat> this 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 other harvest intern was named Gaetan and didn't speak any English and or at least spoke as much English as I did French, so not very much. <laughs> And it just was, you know, it was like, okay, you guys are buddies now, and you show up in the winery first thing, and you basically just, you know, take your pants off with your new friend and hop in and pijage the fruit and hop over to the next one and do the same thing and and then start over again. And, you know, this sort of not having any way to communicate. But I laughed with that guy as much as I've laughed, you know, with, with anyone during harvest and without even really talking together had kind of a, a fun and, and, and that's what happens when you just take your pants off together and have <laughs> some grapes you get close quick it's real bonding moment. yeah 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 he was a great dude <clears throat> nice and then some of the stories you shared whether it was like rock filtering or leaving some grapes in a Volvo you kind of were all about learning hands-on with wrists and stuff 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> have you taken any other risks? Are you pursuing any other kind of like fun endeavors of like experimenting and hands-on learning? Yeah. I mean, I think that this vineyard that we walked, you know, not long ago, just, just an hour or so ago, is a risk in and of itself. Just as high as it's planted and as unirrigated as it is and as rocky as it is up there and um, just... I mean, the, the act of planting a vineyard is almost this kind of absurd, optimistic risk anyway. And then in a place as extreme as that, I think um, that's only magnified. And so I think that and, and just kind of, you know, we're just biding our time waiting to see what we're going to learn from that place. And that's super exciting. And that, that process will start this vintage. And um I think that feels like the work that we're doing up there is is going to be is going to pan out into some things that we're going to learn for sure. Um, I've definitely done, I would say, you know, we've kind of experimented with, you know, not these crazy experiments, but things just to to further understand these vineyards, whether it's, you know, it's super long maceration times. Um, I mean, I did one small lot that was one year on the skins and is still in barrel and maybe it'll be good and maybe maybe it won't be good it's interesting <laughs> um what else are we doing i mean there will always be kind of a curiosity about what other grapes can grow here and um what um what might be the most the most appropriate thing to grow here beyond pinot and chardonnay and that's always a curiosity and um, work that I'd you know like to be a part of and and, and am a part of and um, yeah. What would you say kind of like drives those like risks or that hands-on learning or trying to experiment to find like a different way? You know, I mean, I would say there's this. Um, you know, you you really just have. You know, we've probably probably talked about this too, or this is probably a common theme with winemakers. Is there's almost like morbid sense of the limited number of times we get to do this, right? It's like once a year, and um, I think that wanting to cram as much um, experience and texture and and um, yeah, new experience into that small period of time is, is the driving force there. Um, if I only get to learn based on what is in front of me and what I, what I bring in, um, yeah, I want to sort of maximize that diversity and, and the way that that diversity kind of plays off of each other and plays off of other things in the cellar and, um, amplifies and sort of becomes kaleidoscopic almost. Um, yeah, there's just, there's a lot out there. And so experiencing as much as possible in this truncated period of time, I think is important. Yeah. And then hopping back to kind of the vineyard you mentioned that you were just getting started when we last interviewed you, you mentioned that you planted it at a very high elevation and your soil sample guy kind of said, why'd you do with that? Yeah. So <laughs> I was wondering if you could dive into it, especially because you, yeah. you seemed to doubt it. Yeah, yeah. I think... Um, 
you know, I think that's something that we're going to, that we already are seeing, um, and we'll continue to see more of as it continues to get hotter. We in Oregon are proud of the sort of ethereal quality of our wines, the structured high acid, right? Um, that is the sort of stylistic driver, whether, you know, there's a whole spectrum of wines being made though. Um, we, yeah, it's just not, it's just not getting colder. It's only getting hotter. You know, it's like every, whatever it is, three vintages were the hottest vintage ever. And, um, really that's the driving force behind moving up an elevation is, is the idea that we can retain better acidity and make more delicate wines. Um, I think also, you know, back to this champagne thing is that there will definitely be vintages where sparkling wine is appropriate up there. And that's definitely something that down the road is an experiment and a, a path that, that we would like to walk down with that fruit. Um, I think also, you know, there's, how to say this without, I think there's a lot of sameness in the valley, um, or in, in wine in general, really. Um, and you know, there's competition, right? I mean, it's like, there are really brilliant people out here doing brilliant work and, you know, I might be, however good at my job, whatever, it doesn't really matter. Um, the story is what carries the wine into people's homes and cellars and tables and whatever. Um, and you know, whatever, what, what differentiates it. And so what I think will happen at that site up there, um, is hopefully something that says like, here's a place that has something to say through the wines that are being made from it. Um, and somebody might eventually, probably not while I'm making the wines, but when those vines are, you know, 30, 40 years old, say, pick the wine out of a lineup because they've experienced that and it tastes like something unique and, and it reminds them of whatever, a time and a place. And that's the hope for up there. So it's a, it's a cool hope. Yeah. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then last we spoke, Audient was kind of very new and just growing. So how has it grown since we last talked to you and yeah. kind of where are y'all now and where yeah. do you see yeah. you going? Yeah, I mean, we're not huge still in terms of case case production. Um, you know, we're right around 1,500 cases. Um, and, and, you know, that is an amount that is absorbed by a very kind group of people on our mailing list who, you know, three or four times a year we say, hey, we made this, we think it tastes good, and they're kind enough to buy it. Um and that's obviously huge, right? These people who trust the work that we're doing. Um, and then really a lot of the growth has been uh, in distribution and international markets. Um, and, you know, I think that's important, right? Like, I think everybody looks at um, having a winery and a label and says, oh, well, obviously you want to sell as much as possible to a person standing in front of you at a tasting room because that's your best margin, right? Um but to be able to fuel that growth, you have to step out into the world and you have to be, um, you have to trust uh, distribution partners and sommeliers and 
bottle shop curators to help tell your story to people who, you know, aren't going to make it out to Oregon anytime soon, right? I mean, we're a tiny industry and the vast majority of people who drink these wines will never come here. Um, but that doesn't mean that there aren't so many people who want this. Um, and so, yeah, you need these people and you also, a brand, I think, uh, with certain aspirations, ourselves being in that group of being, of producing wines that belong at a certain tier of whatever, esteem, whatever, there's a word. Um, (laughs) You want to be on, you want to be associated with, with the other great wines of the world. You want to be associated with the great wines that are being made in this valley. And you want to be on a restaurant list with, you know, that has an Ashland star or two or three or whatever. And, and the Oregon section isn't very big, but you're there. Right. And that's, that's important. And somebody is going to go and sit down and have one of the, you know, most beautiful dinners of their life, hopefully. And your bottle might be a part of that. And, um, maybe that person becomes a customer and maybe, or maybe not, but, um, that's, that's how you fuel, I think, long-term growth of a brand and, and sort of healthy, um, a healthy group of, of folks who, you know, again, believe, believe in the work that, that we're doing. So, yeah, I mean, we're in, I think, eight countries now. Um, kind of, you know, very proud of, of who we're working with and our partners and proud to say that we're selling wine in France like we just kind of were talking about and that feels cool like uh, you know I it feels like you know where where a lot of the wines that I'm inspired by come from and so then to say like here's my stuff back in the other direction uh, is is, yeah it's humbling nice and then with the audience growth and kind of like your own like personal endeavors, have you seen like any shifts or changes in like your winemaking philosophy since we last talked? Hmm. Ah, interesting. Um, I don't know about overall philosophy. I would say that, yeah, we tasted in 2020 and I think that around that time, you know, these wines that we, that we just tasted now these the 2019 pinots were in barrel and getting ready to be bottled and i would say that that vintage to me was a a little bit of an eye opener in that it's it was the coldest vintage i've ever worked in oregon and the wines um you know at a certain point we just had to pick the fruit because it was going to rain forever um and it was kind of, you know, there are aspects with our vineyards where the fruit was just kind of falling apart on the vine. Um, so, you know, we picked fruit at much lower sugar levels than, than typically have in the past. And yeah, I would say that I learned, um, yeah, I learned that that doesn't mean that the wines are necessarily going to be any less intense, right. Or serious. Um, and not that I didn't maybe, you know, probably knew that to some degree, but, um, that was this enforcement of maybe the, maybe a a little bit of a shift in, if I want to love these wines, like I want to love the wines that I'm making. Right. And I, 
love the 19s. Like, I couldn't believe it. They're maybe my favorite wines that I ever made. And I definitely didn't feel like that in the midst of the vintage when, you know, there's like, this is gross, but there's like fruit fly <laughs> larvae crawling up the side of the fermenters in, in 19. It was, it was unappealing. Uh, <laughs> it's, not on our, it's not on our website, but it happened. Um, and so in the midst of that, it was like pretty dark feeling. Um, but then to see the end result and the beauty that came out of that, and not obviously there's a lot of hard work in between those two things, but um, definitely shifted my attitude towards wanting to make wines that um, have this kind of transparency and, and yeah, intensity without weight, I guess. Which I wanted to do anyway, but there's this enforcement <laughs> of like, yes, you can do this, go for it. That's yeah. great too. Yeah. And then, as you said, winemaking, especially with harvest, they're finite. You only get like one chance a year. Mm-hmm. So it's really important that you like take something away and you learn. So like, if you could give any advice to your past self, about like your wine journey, what would it be? Hmm. <clears throat> um, for the whole journey, um, yeah, that's interesting. I think that I would say this about honestly, maybe not just wine advice, but like, yeah, there is only one chance a year. So like, do it like go for it be confident and be it's it's like when's the best time to plant a vineyard when's the best time to plant a tree right it's a long time ago um and that is true for kind of like stepping out on your own or 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 you know saying like oh i'm gonna go work in france or i'm gonna go work in new zealand like if you if it's a goal just you know do it do it sooner um, yeah. I like that. Yeah. Just do it. Yeah. Just, <laughs> yeah. It sounds then, familiar for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> <I'm hungry>. <laughs> <laughs> um, we talked about the past. So, what are you looking forward to in the future in the next coming couple of years? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, we had just talked about this this vineyard up the hill here on Parrot Mountain, and and you know, it feels like it's been a really long time since we planted it, and there's you know weather and things are reasons that we haven't made any wine from it but that's super exciting like really excited to see what that place has in store for us um you know and then and then in terms of audience like we're small so there's a lot of room to grow and um you know a handful of people say nice things about us but there's a lot of people (laughs) who have no idea that we exist and um I, i you know it's when you've when you've spent so much time and been kind of, um, you know, one of two employees or one of two people doing this, like you've poured a lot into it. Right. And, um, to see the, the wines kind of continue to be out there in the world, um, is exciting and just kind of knowing that there's a lot of room for that to grow and, um, is also exciting. Um, Well, that's all the questions I have. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to talk with us. Yeah, of course. Yeah, my pleasure. After three years, it was amazing to catch up with Andrew and hear about his journey in growing Audeant, pursuing other projects, and nurturing the new vineyard. 
I'm Mackenzie Kulik, your local Viney, and I promise to bring the vines as long as y'all bring your glasses. I'll see y'all next time for some more Vocal Vines.